0: Well, welcome everybody to the first episode of Misfits. Just a quick disclaimer, today's episode is not the best, most buttery sound quality as I'm still trying to figure out how to use this app and equipment. I promise it will get better in the future, so bear with me. Welcome to Misfits. This is the podcast where I speak to the troublemakers, rebels and mavericks. These people are the folks who see things differently, who have gone off the beaten path and found their pursuit. All living under one roof, Singapore. Today we have Dr. Loretta Chen, a media entrepreneur, writer, director, professor and a consultant and trainer to the Kingdom of Bhutan. That's right, the Kingdom of Bhutan. Some of her headline theatre production include Victor Victoria, The Vagina Monologues, 251, The F Word that premiered at the Edinburgh Theatre Festival. As a creative director, she helped campaigns for LVMH, Moet Hennessy, Louis Vuitton, Samsung and more. In short, Loretta is a prolific woman who has much story and experience to share. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I do, so without further ado... Perfect! Thank you.
1: Thank you! Thank you so much for having me.
0: I spent the uh, few, last few days okay. reading the book and all devour right. it. Okay. Uh, such an easy read with... Last
1: few days? Most people read it in three hours.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'm not a really fast reader. <laughs> so maybe let's just start with the book. Okay, okay. so the book, sure. Woman on Top, yeah. The Art of Smashing Stereotype and Breaking All the Rules. That's right. Um, yeah, Tell me why writing a book is not easy. I mean, you spend like a year, I don't know, a few months at least. At least.
1: Well, okay, to, to be very, okay, I'll, 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 there are two questions there. So first, why the book? Um, I don't know if you, you can see the cover of the book. Yes. Um, but back then, who was break, making news was Miley Cyrus. So that's me. I have a take of like Miley Cyrus on a wrecking ball. Okay. That's kind of like how I've always <laughs> lived my life. So it's me on a wrecking ball. Except I wasn't on a wrecking ball. It's I so like a little rod with a little... Uh, metal bar so it's like was it how, how,
0: how was it shot
1: so I was on a rod with a metal bar <laughs> and so my designer put this uh, little globe and this little wrecking ball but I was like it was a freaking painful wedgie right but oh um, so yeah okay why I wrote the book um, I wrote it for, for for girls men I wrote it for every, anybody that needed inspiration I wrote it for anybody that has uh, gone through rough times in their life and, and felt that they need it to to know that life will be okay.
0: Can you place us at the a time where you, when you wrote the book, where you are at, what you were doing?
1: So I think 38. Um, so it was about two years ago. So I was probably 37, 38. I had my epiphany. About where I was headed at at 36, like I was I was in the Himalayan mountains. I spent a lot of time in the Himalayas because I consult for the government of Bhutan, uh, specifically the the government investment arm of Bhutan, which is like the tamasic holdings, uh, equiv- uh, equivalent, it's called Druk Holdings and Investments. And so I go there like two, three times a, a year. And on my, one of my trips up to the Himalayas on my own, I suddenly realized that we're so small. Uh, I was so humbled by the, the Himalayas. Um, and I was completely at peace with myself, recognizing that I'm completely alone on the mountain. You're alone? Yes, yes, of course, I, I go alone. Okay, there's right.
0: No, no guide. Uh,
1: there's a guy, but then they normally give you space right. and, and, and you know, they would take you there and then they sort of okay. scoot off right, and give you your space. So, and I spent so much time there. Uh, so one thing is that I begin to, you'd be so comfortable in your own skin. Um, and I think that the irony is that the, the, the minute you realize you're completely able to be completely by yourself is when I realized I was ready to be with someone else. And so when I wrote the book, I was, at, at, I was 36, and I thought that the next chapter of my life was to actually get married and, and, and yeah. be with someone else, um, which at that point in time, I hadn't met yet. Oh, okay. But I saw it in my future, and then I met him when I was 39, okay. because I knew I was going to get married by the time I was 40. Right. But to, to put it in context with what you just said, I, and I decided there and then that I was at a place in my life where I was completely happy and very blissful, yeah. and I wanted to reflect back on my life when I was in my 20s where I went through something really difficult where I witnessed two suicides, the suicide of of my um, uh, girlfriend then, my first love, and she committed suicide. Yeah, so, but I I knew that when I was 24, when that happened to me, I told myself that one day when I got better, I wanted to be able to share what I'd gone through, uh, the depression, the anxiety, the pain, the the grief, Mm. uh, the mourning, and and how you get over something so devastating and how you draw strength from that. Because I feel like when you go through a crisis, you can either crash and burn and become very cynical about life and And love and everything else. We have a few
0: examples of people who are like that. Right?
1: Or you you rise like a phoenix and you you want to make every adversity in your life be worth something for someone else. And that was something that I told myself I will do when I was Mm. going through my crisis. I said, if I got through this, I'm going to be able to share whatever I've gone through, the life lessons I've learned with people. And at 36, I felt it was the right time. Mm. And at 24, I thought, oh, that was the only big thing I would go through. But by the time I was 36, there was like a lot other stuff yes. that I went through yes. as well, with, yes. which I put in the book. Yeah, It wasn't yeah. about the other people. It was about what I took away from that and mm. how I drew str- strength from that and how this would make me go through the rest of my life so much more stronger. And, and that really is why I wrote the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, you... All right, so lights goes out. Uh, the I told welcome. you my
1: life is dramatic. What did I say? You know, that's <laughs> exactly you? what I said. Well,
0: welcome to the show, uh, to the blackout show. Is it gonna change name today? That's right. Um, right.
1: And I I really wanted to to, to write that because I remember when I was 24 and so depressed, I had gone through a, 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 I was, you know, my girlfriend then had committed suicide and then, you know, I had witnessed two suicides back to back. You got to buy the book to to know more.
0: Yes, please. You know what? Uh, I, I actually been to Davis and Sacramento. Oh, that's so funny. And and I lived there for a while. That's hilarious. So I was like, whoa, I've actually, actually been there. You've yeah. actually yes. been
1: there. At 24 when that happened to me, um, I I um, thought that, okay, I wanted to put that down. And I, when when I was looking for a book to read, there were no books. There were either books written by North American people. There were books written um, by uh, people of other cultures and largely not Asian women living in Asia, they were Asian American women, yes. but they're not Asian Asian women. And and not to say that then I didn't take any value from it, but it, but it was rather different. I mean our societal contexts were different, our, our social norms were different, um, because then I was dating women who committed suicide, how I was regarded in, in Singapore be really different from how I was regarded in, in the US. For sure. And all of this was stuff that I knew that I wanted to be able to put down for somebody who ever felt marginalized. didn't matter if you didn't date a, a woman. That wasn't a point. But for anybody that's ever felt marginalized at any point in their lives and felt out of place, they didn't really fit into society, there wasn't really any book to read. Um, because I feel like in Asia people like to talk about, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm so this and I'm so this and I'm so powerful and I'm right. so rich, right? Uh,
0: but, but you don't get any lessons out of those things, right?
1: I mean, you do learn that, okay, you got to, you know, a, 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 um, a person that I spoke to, her name is Jenny Chua, who used to run the Raffles Hotel. I, I, I love that woman. She's kind oh, of she like my mummy. My was... But she always said, once you've made it, you always have a Rex to Riches story and that's very sexy when you look back, yeah. right? And a lot of these people like to tell the Rex to Riches story, but. It's never from, it's not to say it's not important, but it's never from some serious dilemma they had to face. I mean, it's always like, okay, I was very poor, then I worked my way up. It's, it's very much financially driven. Not to say yeah. that's not important. I think it's very important as well for us to have those lessons. But yes. for Asians, we won't talk about the fact that, oh, we had a suicide in my family or I had a homosexual son, or I struggled to hide my cross-dressing habit. Like Asian people, we don't like to talk about these taboos because we, we feel like we'll will, will, will be judged. And that's exactly what I wanted to give confidence to people who's, who've ever felt that I don't dare to be who I am. I don't have the confidence to to say what is it that I really want or what I really think. There wasn't a book like that out there. Um, and I wanted to write that for anybody that's ever felt that way. And I realised a lot of people that felt that way.
0: I bet. I bet, yeah. I mean, have, right now, of course, we have things like the Pink Dot. Right. Who is That's like right. tremendous... That's right, yeah, social like
1: media. Because back in the day, I didn't have social media. Yes. So books were my only way out. Yes. And I
0: didn't have any book to read. And and yeah. the book itself is also structured in such a way that it's not like chronological.
1: That's right. It's meant to be for people who are ADD like you. Uh, you can pull Which, out any chapter. You, and you can pull out any chapter. I didn't need it to be linear. Uh, I wanted it to be like a rhizome. You can pretty much read chapter 5 and 6 and then 12 and 3 and... Rip out chapter five, if you didn't like it, you know. I actually even told my publisher, I said, hey, you know, for the chapters that were very controversial, do you want to put perforation so people could just rip it out and toss it, right? Or the censors could rip it out and toss it?
0: I don't think they would.
1: Yeah, you know. But, uh, Those are the best chapters. Yes, yeah, but I actually I got censored, so I think two chapters were taken out.
0: Oh, right, because I, I only know that one chapter was taken out.
1: I think two chapters, because one episode, one chapter was when I actually worked with one of your mega churches in town. Uh, uh, that was swiftly taken out. Uh, and, <laughs> then, uh, and the other was when I was very politically charged and I wanted to, I felt like in order to make change, because back then again there's no social media, right? Yes. So in order to make change, I had to be in a Place which allowed me to make change, which meant I had to be either the women's wing or the PAP because they were the ruling party, and I because f- back then you didn't realize that the Workers Party was even a capable functioning body. Why? Because the pub, the media always printed, just painted them as being completely ridiculous. Right. But now in social media, you actually realize they are very capable. They're very eloquent. They're so politically charged. They're very smart. Yes. But back in the day, you felt that oh dear, you didn't
0: know.
1: You, you had no access to all that. Right.
0: Which is right. the idea of now, like, you know, and that's place... Why I love
1: the social media because you, you can't censor reality anymore,
0: right.
1: right? But I lived in a generation where it was very much censored, uh, and you probably didn't know yeah. because everything was. was uh, yes. So uh, I was asked to join the women's wing and the PAP, but I saw some things that I didn't agree completely with, and so that, dying, that, yeah. that chapter was taken out as okay. well.
0: So you're at the PAP and in the women's uh, wing because you were...
1: I was, I was nominated as uh, the first ever arts NMP, right? But because of who I was and how open I was about uh, repealing 377A, um, I, I, I don't think I fit their image of what an NMP should be. Right.
0: I mean...
1: Even though it should be nominated by the people, but I don't think I fit that. No,
0: actually, I'm, I'm intrigued about this whole process because like... I'm like, haven't touched politics, but I don't know how the structure works. So nominated member of parliament is basically the people who sort of like place their votes.
1: That's right. So you're supposed to be non-partisan. So because I was then nominated by people to be the first ever nominated NMP,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I, I, I removed myself from the PAP because you, you have to be non-partisan.
0: Non-partisan? Yeah. Okay. Because
1: the NMP is basically a non-partisan role. You don't belong to any party.
0: Right. So... You were uh, MP, and then you removed no, so that no, you can was, be nominated.
1: No, I was I was one of the people that they wanted, uh, you know, that was serving the women's wing and yes. the young PAP. Yeah. There were some things that I didn't quite agree yeah. with, and then I I stepped out. Yes. But then it was also that same time where the arts community and people nominated me to be an NMP. Also, you
0: stepped out, and then they nominated you. Yeah. to be Yeah, I a mean, you nom- you have
1: to be non-partisan anyway. You can't right. be in a party to be an NMP.
0: Right. And then after that, you, become, you became an NMP? Or? I didn't.
1: Because I didn't fit. Right. Because my point is NMP should be nominated by the people. Yeah. By, yeah. by what is the acronym? Nominated, nominated right, right, Member Parliament. Yeah. Yeah. And it should be interest groups. And it should be representative yes. of, of a cross-section of society or yes. society. Uh, but I don't think I fit the bill. Of.
0: I think now you do. Will you say so?
1: I always thought I did. <laughs> no. Uh, having said that, I, I, I think it's different. I think you never fit a role. I think you grow into it. You learn. Yes. And you've got to be really humble about it. Yep. I think it, it's about serving people. It's not about, haha. you know, I want to be in power. It really is about service. It really is about it service, is. leadership, and it's something that I've always advocated. Um, but I, in hindsight now, I don't think... I was glad for the entire process... I learned a lot more about the process, about myself, about what I stand for and what I don't. I have full respect for it. I'm thankful for my experiences, but I also saw some things that made me a lot more aware of of what things should or shouldn't be. But to answer your question, yes. but yes, that chapter was taken out.
0: We'll talk about it in private. <laughs> um, I think that's because
1: it's just your second show, right? You you yeah. do want to have more shows, right? Yeah. So maybe more. you should invite me in your Ooh. last show.
0: Yeah. Oh. Come on. And then what well, let's talk about your stunning um I think you grew up in a very humble family. Um um I think your brothers both didn't went to school.
1: They, well they did not go to school, they, they just they, didn't go to university and they didn't yes. go I think uh they had they had they did their A levels. They did. That. But back in the day then that was the norm.
0: And then you were the youngest and yeah, you managed they to in,
1: They were born in the 60s,
0: right? Yeah, I, I, I think th- the thing is that when people look at you now they would I mean for lack like of a better word, stereotype you as a person who's like, Okay, this Loretta might live in a house driving like really fancy car
1: I did drive a fancy car, it's because I work for it and I yes, like my yes, fancy yes, car, yes. but otherwise no, I know exactly what you mean. Well, you I think earn, you
0: earn orders like, you know, from scratch. Like Well
1: I think you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a there's a stereotype that if you're successful, yeah. you must have had a silver spoon in your mouth. Um, and we didn't. I mean, uh, I think my mom's side came from money, but I think they must have also lost some money. And when she chose to marry my dad, my dad was very humble. I mean, they, I think my dad's family ran like a coffee shop. Oh, wow. But I think because our family became successful, yeah. I think it's very easy to say, "Oh, they were lucky" or "They were born rich." Mm-hmm. But it was—it's not true at all. For for so many years, I remember that because my dad worked as a clerk, um, mm-hmm. in in overseas unit insurance. Oh. And he worked so hard to raise three kids, uh, and we live in a two-room flat in Taling Hall. I remember uh, a very humble. Um, I mean, my mom's side had wealthier relatives because I said, you know, we, my mom's side did come from money, uh, and but my mom married my dad that didn't have that much money, and and I think it, it made us really humble because we never felt like we were. We we were we fell short of anything or we wanted anything. I think I still believe till today that love really is the most important thing for any child growing up. I never felt that I ever was lacking in anything. Um, I think my parents, as every other parent, I think my parents fought more than most, uh, but they loved me so much separately. That was also something that could be a topic of conversation if you want to go there about how I learned to understand.
0: That's yes, only um, l- l- a later part
1: of that. Yeah, we didn't understand love between a couple is different from love as a parent. They could be great parents, but they could be horrible as a couple together. And I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, right? right. But they love me very much. My brothers love me so much. And I never felt I ever needed anything, oh.
0: you know? So you did, you have great, great love from, from I think so. brothers and, yeah. and, and parents. And, and I
1: think, but to answer your question about humble beginnings, I, I think you're trying to raise a question about how we became. My because we're so humble, but I think what our parents did for us was amazing in that they just said, be a good person. And I remember, I can't even say this without, like, tearing. but like, my dad always, like, took us to the to the mosque, to the temples, to the churches, um, told us to be really respectful. Yeah. It's not about being tolerant. It's about being really respectful. You don't tolerate. Like, you really respect. Yeah. Um, and so when you have that, when you grow in that kind of environment where you're taught to be so humble and so respectful, uh, and my mom and dad never pressured us. Like, I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be an engineer. I was going to make a lot of money. And, then, you know, there was none of that. It was just to be a good person.
0: Yeah, no, but I mean, also your parents, like you say about yeah. my parents, that they are quite supportive, supportive and, yeah. and open. I mean, I think my parents say the same thing too. As long, you know, you, you're not like uh, doing bad wrong things. Wrong, right? yeah. Yes, correct. The, the four things, right, apparently. Uh, and then, then they're happy with like what you do. But it turns out like I became a beatboxer. Your mom, like, oh, beatbox, <laughs> great. But so, like, how did you, your brothers both went to A levels and you did too? Um, and how did that translate into, like, you know, why did you choose to follow my studies? Yeah, instead of like following oh, really what your brothers.
1: I, again, I think really, I think we need to understand also the cultural context. Mm. Uh, my brothers lived in an era where you just want, you just needed to go out and make money. I mean, they were the, they were born in the sixties. Yeah. Uh, resources were scarce. Yes. All you really wanted to do was go out there, graduate, make money. Um, and that's why in that generation they were so enterprising they're so entrepreneurial they they started really young they went to, through the school of hard knocks they're very street wise you develop really high EQ because you're not like stuck behind social media or looking at your cell phone or yeah. looking at Facebook all day you had to go out and like make deals with people talk yeah. to people <laughs> and, you know, and like you know get your head banged up and your, your head yeah. you know kind of you know, Bruce. bruised and your ego bruised. Yes. But that was the generation they lived in because they're in their 50s now. Yeah. They're probably your parents' age. That's true. See? But that's my brothers. Yes.
0: Right? And you were like, how how old part so are I'm you? I'm
1: 40 now. So I probably like a. 40, no, oh, your yeah. math is like quite jalalat, right? Oh, I mean like so it's like they're.
0: Early 50 and late 40s, you know? Oh,
1: okay, but that's at least still 10 years. So it's um, uh, my older brother is 15 years older, 14 years wow. older than me, and my second brother is 11 years older than me. So it's over a decade, right? Yeah, yeah, So you do see a huge cultural shift. So by yes. the time it was me, it was almost the norm to get a university education. That's true. So A, it was a norm. B, I realized I really enjoyed studying. I really did. You're very good at it. And I was very good at it. Yes. I was all those kids that I, I swear to God, okay, like all my friends in CHIJ, they all thought that I was that kind of no yeah 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 because i play like mad yeah, right, right, right. and then you know th- then when you do one exams they're like wow like it <laughs> must be some mother you know i mean like behind behind the back but i really wasn't i was just very playful yeah, yeah. uh
0: so you're yeah, the one people hate
1: usually after exams they'll hate me before exams everybody <laughs> loves me because because i'm like the school clown right yes. and then like i'll do well that's like yeah. my gosh she must be a mother at home you know yeah. but I, I i think it's because i genuinely enjoyed it but having said that i was really bad at math. So there's some things oh. I, was, I was very extreme. I was really good in some things. I was very good at language and um, literature, obviously. Yeah. I was very bad in math. Yeah. So I, I realized I really enjoyed studying. And when I got to university, I realized that... You chose theater. Yeah, which, which was again uh, quite iconoclastic because I was probably like the second batch oh. of theater students. It? Yeah, Oh, was it? I was not, it was a very rare... Uh, a daring decision. People would be like, "Huh? What are you gonna do as you know, a theater degree? Why right. that?" What right? was
0: your decision back then to choose theater instead of like arts or design or, or I can't draw or journalism or you know, mass um, media?
1: I think interested in theater because I felt like theater was a reflection of life, and that you, but you could take life to an extreme and look it through a really colorful lens. Mm-hmm. Um, because I felt like. I mean, I was interested in journalism too, mm-hmm. uh, but She's I felt you good that, at writing. yeah, I was good at writing. I like talking to people, yes. but I felt that journalism forced for imposed a newer sense of having to be objective when we know that there's real no objectivity in in, in, in reality. There's no. you, there's always filtered by. But I don't think you else. know that when
0: you were there. I kind
1: of did, oh, really too? and that oh, was why oh. I preferred theater because wow. I thought in theater you could tell a story by acknowledging you're telling a story and by acknowledging you're telling a story, you could actually critique what you want to say better because you're saying that I'm taking a position. I'm not pretending I'm objective. Yes, yes. I'm taking a position and this is my position. Yeah. You may disagree in my position but this is my position.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but wow. in journalism, you're really saying this is objectivity. And, this is CNN. And, right? and, and it's, uh, it's, do it's, you
0: say it as like what you think back then or this is what, how you see right now?
1: I think there was a sense of that. I was always a child that was very mm. aware of myself. I think like wow. painfully aware. Wow! Uh, I may not be as eloquent as, as I am now. In fact, yes. I think I was probably more eloquent then because really? now I'm losing my memory and I, and I forget words. No. Yeah, really, really. But I really do that, so I, I brought all these little books yes, and, to show you because I'll forget. History. I also wanted to read theatre, yeah. but I also read English literature mm. and language and also did Japanese studies and American studies. But I think I was also, in hindsight, influenced by Edmund because by the time he's already married to my sister-in-law Xiang
0: Okay. so
1: at a very young age I felt that theater was in my family why? because I would be the one reading the scripts with my brother that's true I couldn't read in Mandarin but he would bounce it off me and I'll like (laughs) like I was not very good in reading the exact Mandarin words but I got the feeling like right like maybe the word was "jala," but like I get the emotion. Oh wow! So I mean like two words, tell a but like right. I was feeding my brother the emotion, you know? Oh yes. So we would actually rehearse. And, and that's really, like when,
0: you were really, like practicing director yeah, back so, so young. Was,
1: so obviously, <laughs> when it was English script, it was like this is easy, right? <laughs> um, but um, I, I enjoy doing that. Oh wow! And and I think also when you have a precedent set in your family, yeah, I didn't think that it was impossible. I think back then people still felt that being a theater or going to uh, being an artist was like, huh, are you crazy? Are you going to make any money? But it it, it didn't bother me. It, it didn't come into the equation at all. I just needed to do what I and, loved.
0: And who, how do you finance uh, university?
1: And this is where I think I also want to make uh, share with people who want to be inspired that I think if you really want to do something, somehow you would find your way. Like I told you, we, we didn't come from a lot of money. I didn't even know if we could make it a university, but somehow I had scholarships that people that would, yes. I had scholarships that came my way. Um, and You just apply. Yeah, and also, you know, when you have scholarships that do come your way, you also feel like you don't want to let people down because they believed in you. And all the more, you're going to work harder because mm-hmm. you feel like you want to be deserving of them having faith in you. And, and it becomes like a, a, a virtuous cycle. When someone puts faith in you, you want to repay more, back right? the faith and, and yes. pay it forward. And so when I got a scholarship, my first scholarship was actually from my, my uncle. Then oh. he was a chairman of Shangri-La. Okay. And so he gave me the scholarship. So oh no more, I felt like I needed to work harder. And then eventually, because I did work hard, I got a scholarship from uh, the, the NAC, the National Arts Council, and yeah. then I got a scholarship from the university itself, which is the University, the Royal Holloway University. Um, of, of London, which, is then, on, which is then yeah, which is then, yeah, the top yes. college in, in, in theatre in London, yes. in, in the world. Yeah. So I got a scholarship from then. And again, because you get a scholarship, you're going to be like, oh, I want to work even harder. And then I got a scholarship from UCLA.
0: I think the thing is that when you know you could get a scholarship, you know that options sort of exist in your world. And
1: you to be fair, at the start, I didn't know. I really didn't know. Right. But that...
0: Your uncle is the one to give you the idea of a scholarship, or did you ask? No, I didn't.
1: I didn't. This? I didn't. I think... I think now that I'm older and I have given scholarships like in fact I, I, I have I give a scholarship to the Raffles Design Institute oh wow um I realize that when you're in a position to give yes it really it really is a, a privilege and a joy to be able to give but on the receiving sure. end as well the recipient must also allow someone who's in a position to give to give because sometimes we're like I don't want I'm so proud I refuse to take any help you know what I mean right but I realized that it's a give and take because if someone wants to offer their help, I think we should sometimes be gracious and say we let, we, we accept yes. their 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 help as well, and when we can repay it by paying forward. tenfold because we not only are we not only do we practice gratitude, we pay it forward, yes. and I realized that that really is really important, and that I think is is one of the anchors of my life as well that I ex- I allow people to do kindness. To me, and and I pay it forward because you know when you're younger, you're like I got to prove it to myself, man I yeah. do it all by myself. I did that in my twenties. I did that because I'm, 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 I'm. As you can tell, I'm a tough girl. I did no. that. I was like, no, I'm going to do it all by myself. And no, but then you, you realize, got, you got the and I still do that.
0: You got a scholarship, but you still do it. Absolutely. In, in, in other, in other absolutely,
1: parts life, absolutely. I mean, not just scholarships anymore, but in my life, you know, like I, yeah.
0: And coming back to give and take, I mean, it's to me, it's also a very new concept. I mean, I I always knew it exists, but to the extent of how you describe it, right? Because, you know, like, now you're in a position of having this knowledge to to pass on to others. But it's it's just like, you know, when I came back from traveling uh, for a year trip, uh, right. backpacking, yeah. and then you have this all these friends. like, hey, you know, like, tell me about it. Like, I want to do it. And, and you're really excited. You're like, hey, you know, this is how I did it. And you, like, write down, like, right. the exact expenses right. and all. Right. And then three months later, yeah. they still come back to you right. with the same old That's problem right. that they, they are, like, facing. And
1: this is where I say that when you make a choice you do need to know that you do give up some things like you gave up some things by going on your backpacking I gave up some things I gave up job security having a, um, a great pay package uh, or, or having the, the financial security knowing that okay by 28 I'm going to be able to buy my like you know three room HDB and then I get a fiance then we quickly go and chop HDB then you know we want quickly like buy one Toyota then we have like two kids then we you know get a baby bonus and like I, you I, you give up all that no because because, because yeah yeah, yeah and, and, the, and absolutely if they want yes. to do that but you need to know that that's absolutely what you want don't do it just because you think that everyone's doing it and so I need to do it yeah. for me what I never saw it as a sacrifice because I wouldn't want it any other way I, I I was fiercely independent I wanted my independence so much more than anything else in the world I didn't want to be beholden to anybody or anything and so I knew that I had to be an entrepreneur I knew that I could only work for myself because I I couldn't like go to work every day from 9 to 5 I think I'm killing all my future employment here but I figured that I really want to be an entrepreneur because that way I could maintain my uh, uh, independence.
0: Yes, and coming back to the give and take, I, I mean, I've always
1: been an entrepreneur. I just
0: want to get your advice on this. Also, like, how do you choose like when to to give? I think more the question of. So now I'm like I'm fine in taking right, but the question is like, how do you actually choose who and when you should give? And, and, and in terms of advice. In terms of of maybe time or money or emotion?
1: I think it's all different. I think I'm one of those people that people just gravitate to and they like will just pour their whole life stories to me. Um, So I, I do find myself being like a life coach, a personal coach to so many people. Uh, in a way, I feel like that's probably one of the reasons why I never felt like an intensity to have children because I feel like every, like so many people are my kids, you know, and I've, I've also been a professor, so I have so many like younger yes, yeah. students, like a lot of your crew are a lot of them are 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 like uh, they like a lot of them are like my my mentees, and I think when people ask, yes. I, I will share, um, and some don't look like they're open but then if you do approach them and they give you signs like they're open and then I'll, I will talk to them not preachy, not like evangelizing but like to share um, for some that I, I give scholarships mm-hmm. because I, I think that the school will have some system of rigor to know how to uh, filter, filter and, choose and, and, and choose because they would regulate. hopefully be able to you know track the students progress right. Uh And because I've been a recipient, I feel I do need to give back, right? Um, But in terms of help, I help all the time, um, unconditionally. And it's really strange because it comes back. In in like karma is really a boomerang. Like you will not see how your kindness today may not manifest in two hours or two years, but it could be like five years later or twenty years later. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I've I've been. Okay, so, like, just say to today alone, yeah. right? Let's just give today as an example. Yeah. Um, I am supposed to be in Bhutan on Sunday. Yes. But, but... I didn't get my visa because the Bhutanese are so chummy with me. They <laughs> took too long to process my visa, and then it didn't get processed.
0: The right? Okay. They're
1: yeah. like, "Oh, the Bhutanese is coming, so why bother?" Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, "Uh, I have no visa." And I could always call a favor. I just call <laughs> right. someone from the immigration. I don't yeah. know if this is considered corruption or whatever, or nepotism, but it's not in our country. So uh, they helped me yes, to yes. to you know work my visa out. You know. Right. And then another scenario, because now I can't get a flight because I've missed, okay, so then I'm supposed to fly, oh, fly but then I can't fly because I don't have my passport, Yes, because the US immigration had messed up my passport, right. so now I'm late in my getting my passport, yes. and I now need to change my flight because I will miss my flight. Yes. And because I've been friends with the the airline owner and I've supported him in his work, yeah. he said, "I'm going to change it for you. I'm going to find it for you." And it turns out that it was my nephew, so we managed to swap our flights. But that's not the point. And because my whole schedule is now messed up, I actually literally just got a text from him to say that he's going to um, pay for my accommodation, to you know, to just make my whole uh, trip uh, smoother. Like he, I, he literally just texted me, okay. like your whole journey, like. You, you're going to stay in this hotel. We're going to put you up. The whole expenses on us. Uh, and this really is karma. Uh, this is just to, today alone. I can't even begin to tell you. But I also think yeah. you must see it. If you don't see it, like, okay. you got to believe. Like just now, for example, there are yeah. lots of people outside your, your place. Yes. you know, And they were doing construction. Yeah. And now that we're having an interview, they've stopped. Yeah. It's because we've, we've sent out that positive energy. We want to be friends with them. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be, uh, they're going to be quiet. And, and that's how my life has been. If I manifest it and I put it out there, you will see it happen. Like it's, for sure, I, I, it, I'm not being like i not, I'm not a religious no, no, person, yes. okay? No, no, no. I'm just saying it, it really yes. is about being a good person, um, going out there, telling them, hey, we're going to have an interview, and they're cooperating. Yeah. Uh, and, but I choose to see it as its karma because we did something good for them, they're doing something good for us. Yeah. And it's all the time. And the more you see it, the more you're going to keep seeing it and the more you're going to keep wanting to do good things.
0: No, for sure I believe in it as much as you do I think my question also stems from a place whereby what if you have two, a time is only the fungible thing right and you only have a limited amount of time so now you need to choose uh, either or so then um, do you have a process of making the decision no. or you still for me, help it's all either about, way
1: no for me it's all about because of a, a limited time on earth we're very mortal I could walk out right now and I could trip Just, and that's it
0: let's so, put the time in you know Right, Let's like there. right now,
1: this all these paint cans could fall on my head, and that's it. Oh,
0: no, don't.
1: No. Right, um, and I think when you have that sort of embrace of mortality, uh, you recognize that you have very limited time here on Earth. So why make these difficult choices? When do I want to be good? Is it just be good all the time? Are there are there people that have taken advantage of me? Yes, as I've written my book, I've been cheated of one point two million dollars. Yes, uh, yes. but do I learn from that? Yes, I do. Do I also get a lot of kindness from people who, in turn, believe in me? Yes, I do. So I, I think if you always do things thinking that oh shit lah, then someone's go take advantage of me. That how then I'm going to be very calculative. I think uh, that's. I'm, I'm not. I'm not here to preach. I think everybody has their own philosophy. I think yeah. that being calculated and, and, and uh, is, is is also a way of living. I just don't choose to do it that way.
0: And, I, and then you know yeah. you know me, I'm the same as you. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, uh, for me at least, I mean, let's not talk about this, let's just end it there, but then it's just that when you help people and you see people still stuck in the same situation, right. and you're just like, I told you, you know, like, and then you didn't make anything. <laughs> anyway, let's move on, on. Okay, no, but
1: back yes. to your point, I, I think that the whole point is when the student is ready, the teacher will come. So there's some friends who are just asking you, but they're just asking for the sake of asking you, but they're not really putting the effort. So, right. And eventually, they'll have to realise that, okay, because you could go and backpack, you gave up some job security, you gave up X number of months of your life where you could, you know, be potentially working and getting more money. There will always be people people who say, oh, but you're lucky, you're lucky. You're you luck.
0: put it in a very wise way of saying, because for me, I would be like, you can do it, just quit your job and do this, this and this, and this is the action steps to do it. Right. But you sort of see it as a like, there's an opportunity look, yeah, this is the opportunity to us, to us yeah. like, do you want to give that up? Yeah, I think that's more... And
1: it's very fundamental in living a very blissful life is that you take responsibility for all your actions. Mm. If I did this today, uh, you know, I, I choose to have this interview with you. I, I'm potentially uh, giving up some time with my family, but I feel like it's it's, it's something I want to do for you, right? Um but if, for example, for example, if I feel like no, today was really important. My mom is unwell. For example, yes. I will say, hey, Brian, um, I'm sorry. I would love to be featured on your show and to be the next um, yes. oh. internet superstar, but I can't because my mother is ill. And it's happened to me before. You know, I've I've had to give up opportunities. I was cast as Hedda Gabler in Shakespeare, Shakespeare's Hedda Gabler, and it was um, Shakespeare's Hedda Gabler, Hedda Gabler, but it was by Shakespeare, a, a director from uh, the Royal Shakespeare, uh, from the Globe. Right, she was. Yeah, this is like over twenty years ago, so my memory's fuzzy. But I remember this di- director came from the Globe, yeah. and she was the director of Hadagabla, yeah. and I was chosen to be Hadagabla, oh, wow. and I had to give it up because I remember my professor talking to me and yeah. saying. Do you want your PhD, or do you want to be head of Gebler? Oh. We're giving you a two hundred fifty thousand dollars scholarship,
0: and people are backing you up. That's
1: right, and and at that point in time, much as oh, I want to be head of Gebler, and <laughs> then I could be like in the globe, I'll be, I'll be people so famous. London, right? Like Roy yeah, Roy, Roy, Roy. right. Uh, no, by this time I was in UCLA. UCLA like, also, you really got the. I already got my scholarship, scholarship. right? Okay. Uh, and I was like, oh my god, but I could be, you know, the next big star, right? But. I realized that, hey, there were some people who put their life on the line and yeah. say, I bet, I, I, I'm i going to bet on this girl, give her a quarter million dollars to study, and which, I meant, be, which, meant, which meant I deprive other people of the chance to do that. Yeah, so well, yeah. it wasn't about me. It was about me thinking like, oh my God, there must have been a thousand other people that apply. Yeah, yeah. And if I took on that role, I'm disappointing these thousand people who mm-hmm. didn't.
0: I don't, I don't think that's like, you know, like you put it in such a way that I don't think people... Uh, uh,
1: they don't think that. They yeah, just yeah, think, right. huh, wah, I have to give up my superstardom for right. this. Yeah.
0: Exactly, right. Um, I just lost my train of thought there. You, school, yeah.
1: you make me lose my train of thought all the time because you're so ADD.
0: <laughs> so school, um, Royal Holloway, and then um, to UCLA. So before we get into that, yeah. okay, let, I'm just going to make you lose your thought again, sorry. Sure. Uh I just remember on asked you which is uh, is that your first country that you went overseas? Uh
1: yeah, yeah. To to live overseas, yes. I mean obviously I've you know, I went to Australia, then go to like, you know, Malacca, yes. then like Malaysia, Thailand, Hong Kong. But yes, to um, live for an extended period of time was London first and then uh, California.
0: Yeah. Yeah, how was that? Because you know, like as compared I mean I think London is quite it's not as you know, forefront in terms of like accepting Asians as California. For theater, it'd be the place to be. You're, are you the Asian, the only Asian people, like Asian person in the whole class?
1: I was, um, maybe back then I was one of two. There was me and a Japanese girl. Okay. There are two of us.
0: And you enjoyed it?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. You know, I don't think we re- recognize the rigor of the Singaporean education system until you go overseas. I was like, I was acing every exam. All right. And I was like, what? I was the top easy. student again? <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah.
0: but you even beat the Japanese girl.
1: Unfortunately, yes. Because they're, they're, she had a language issue. She's right. a very good student, but the, the language issue okay. was tough. Yeah. But she married an English man, though. So. Oh, okay. okay.
0: Um, so, yeah. So, let's, let's move on to, to UCLA. How do you enjoy UCLA?
1: I had an amazing time. I think it was a, a very much uh, my awakening. what happened around then.
0: And well, this is a perfect segue to the the juice of it that we're talking about. Yeah. Do you found your love?
1: Yeah, my first love, I was 24, and I fell in love with this woman that I met in Davis. Yes. And uh, we dated, but she was seeing someone else then. So, you know, one of those things. Uh, so on the day that, I think it's all in a book, yes. but anyway, yes. I'll just summarize it. On the day that she told her then-girlfriend that she was going to, you know, be honest and live her life authentically and 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 break up with her to be with me that, that her girlfriend kills herself and a hundred days later my girlfriend kills herself in the exact same way so in a span of a hundred days I, I i witnessed two suicides and it and, and it changed my life
0: i mean you were in a very dark place then then the question is also how did you got out from from this place um, versus the other, which we don't want to be there, Um we cold, cold and despair, oh, and you really know, like not. come out as a right. as a sinister right. uh, and and right. and yeah? How, what what like what did you hold on to? Or if there's people yes, who are listening yeah, to I, this,
1: um, I, yeah, I did. I, I think it's very important to hold on to, to many things, uh, and it's it, and it's so bizarre the things you hold on to when you're when you dig deepest darkest despair. One well, of the thoughts that, that came to mind was my niece. She was just born, and actually I wrote about it, too, Mm -hmm. in the book. She was just born that very year. And I'm right thinking, and I was reading books. And that's the other thing that kept me sane. I I read a lot of books. Remember, we had no Facebook and social media, so you read, Mm -hmm. right? So I I read a lot of books, and I realized that when there was a suicide in the family, you leave a legacy in the family. Um, And once there's a legacy there's a, there's a, it's almost like a psychological imprint in your family. So people will think that, oh, okay, um, if my aunt committed suicide, I would take the same route.
0: Mm.
1: And then you know, and I didn't want to leave that legacy cause she, she just, she was just born that year. Yes. And I remember thinking to myself again, it's that other first concept that I didn't want this child to grow up thinking she had an aunt that committed suicide and have her think that it's going to be a viable way out. I, 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 I have, um, it's one of the hardest things to do. I think it's to, to to take your own life. You have to be in a really really dark space and to make such a swift and decisive decision. I I, I don't want my niece to ever think that I did it and it rash spur of the moment. And and so at that moment when she was ever feeling down, that she would just jump into that moment and just make that decision. Yes because I wanted to prove to her that life really is worth living for. And I think I did. We're so close now. Uh, She read the book. Now she's 16. Um, And I think I tell a lot of people that when you go through something so deep and dark, whether it's a suicide or um, any kind of loss, a loss in a family, um, a breakup, a a divorce, um, uh, a parent dies, uh, you're in a very dark place, but then you need to trust that it really gets better does it take a lot of effort? It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot more effort to be positive than to be negative because you just want to wallow and wallow in your pain. But you do need to give your space to do that as well and mourn. But you also do need to realize that you must put that effort to get out of that space. And I did many things. I read a lot of books which gave me a lot more perspective perspective that, hey, I'm not the only one, right? The people that go through worse things. Mm -hmm. Um... I, I had a presence of mind to check myself in a hospital, which is also what I wrote about. Because again, Asian people never go to a hospital for a mental disease right. or depression. It's such yeah, a taboo. A and I wanted to write about you. it. Right? Cause there, because then I had a student that was depressed and he wanted to go in to seek help.
0: And you just but need his that par- spark, Yeah, but courage. his parents
1: refused to allow him. His teachers refused to allow him because they felt that they would sh- be shaming uh, him family. and the community and the family. But he needed help. You know, I think if we just saw depression as, it's like having cancer of the mind. You yeah. need to heal your mind. Because when you have cancer, everyone's very sympathetic. Mm. But when you have depression, people almost feel like, oh, you're a loser. Okay, you just buck up? Like, come on, step out of it. Right. But it's, it's not, you know. Uh, so, But I'm talking about clinical depression. I'm not just talking about, oh, today I feel fat. Not a kind of depression. I mean, that's not really depression. But, um.
0: So read a lot? I read a
1: lot. And I checked myself I said, in a hospital yeah. because I felt that I needed professional help. Correct. And it was always, I think, it was one of the sanest things I did. So clearly, I was still on the right track. I, 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 I did very sane things. Um, I, I took medication just to get me to sleep and and because I needed to rest. Yeah. Um. And I had really good doctors uh, that literally told me, Loretta, you're, you will be fine. Mm-hmm. And I always asked them, How do you know you'll be? I'll be fine. And they say you will be. And I, and I want, and I want it so hard to believe. Then. Then but I I, I couldn't, right? Yes. But I, I said that, okay, I want to. And I, I told myself I want to believe them. Yeah. Because you can't change what you feel, but you can change what you think. Mm. You feel depressed, but you can think, okay, I know I'm depressed, but I, I want to feel I, I want to be positive about it, right? Uh, and then the the other thing that I did too was um, I talked to a lot of people around me, and there are a lot of people that were going th- through through a lot worse old. times than me I mean there was a girl there was a girl that was yeah there was a girl that was raped by her parent um, there was a lady that was clinically bipolar and schizophrenic uh, and I realized there a lot more people that were going through really tough circumstances and and they had cl- clinical issues but I just went through a difficult time and 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 I have every responsibility to get better because a lot of them don't have the chance to get better.
0: I had the same situation happen not to me but to someone else that I uh, deeply love, uh, and I was in a situation where she she said the only thing I can feel was when I cut myself, and I was so stupid and I actually like bring her a knife, you know. Well, the parents like confiscating everything, uh, so I guess like maybe the better. Thing to do is to check her in so as an outsider to help a person who is feeling uh, depressed mm-hmm. what is there anything that you recommend
1: I think yes I think you can get them read my book but no I think you um, uh, one of the other things that I did which I really advocate is to try to I mean if you're really down please don't go and check yourself into like New York or Tokyo because you probably feel like for me I was 24 I felt like okay I only had like such little savings very took myself to London or Tokyo and you know, I'll feel so broke then I'll, be, I'll feel even worse <laughs> so it's really a financial concern but you know right. I, I went to um, Cambodia and Vietnam and right. one of the things that I always remember was that I volunteered in a sex traffic workers camp uh, with you know small uh, yes. children that were trafficked and they're from Cambodia And I remember asking them, and I went on my own, right? And I remember asking these kids, they're between 8 to 15 years old, they're all sex traffic workers, and and I asked them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, oh, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, I'll be a teacher, I'll be a nurse. And I'll say, oh, why do you want to do that? And the kids will say, oh, because we want to help other people. And that really... Uh, I always say this story because it really humbled me and it put me in my place because here I was at 24 thinking my world had come crashing down I'm searching the world you know to salvage my soul and here are these kids they will never have the opportunity to even travel out of Cambodia That's they've true. already been raped and this is the, the life they're, and they're so living and, and they want to help other people yes. um, and it made me feel like if they can feel that way I have an even greater responsibility to, to, to make the right choices because you know, happiness and, 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 and freedom, we like to think that it's a, it's a right, but it really is a luxury. A lot of them will never be born in a circumstance where they ever have the right to choose. They just don't. For every you know Malala there is in the world, there's so many other women or, or, or small boys or, or men and women, people that never have the luxury of choice. Uh, and so if we have the luxury of choice, I think we have a responsibility to choose wisely, not just for ourselves, but for the people in the world that don't have a, uh, the luxury of choice to ever be able to be in a position where they can choose.
0: After studying in UCLA, yeah. you moved, so you went to Cambodia, Vietnam to help yeah. the girls, and then you came back to teach yeah. in SP. You come back to SP, uh, you... Remind what happened. Yes, you you were you, were, you, were, you were a great teacher. Everybody loved you, uh, and then someone came, called Mike in in, in the in the story, <laughs> um, and he um, sexually harass you, yes. big time. Yes, and you on top of that you have this director, yes. uh, which is your in charge, yes, saying that. Oh, so you know, like uh, you're a lesbian. Was how did he, How can he sexually?
1: Exactly, I found that so ironic. It's like here I was saying that I had a, I, I, I had so much fear already going to tell my boss that I was being sexually harassed at work. Yes, yes. I think I can. I understand how how a lot of women or men who've been sexually harassed. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to walk up to say I'm being sexually harassed. Yes. And instead of commiserating with me. She made me into a victim twice by saying that a, how could he possibly sexually harass you when you are a lesbian? Yeah. And it was really shocking in an educational institution. Like actually, if you want to be very logical, lesbians need even more protection because we have no men around us, right? <laughs> yes. So it's it, I, I found it I found it appalling that the, this was our educators in Singapore. Yeah, I, I, mean, I I couldn't. Continue and you call you it. call
0: it quits. Yeah. Uh, right off. I,
1: I didn't believe in it anymore. I mean, there were a lot more things, obviously. I wasn't that impetuous, but that was one of the core of it, the fact that we had educators that were making such misinformed judgments.
0: Yeah, and, and would, would I say like after the SP uh, incident when you quit, uh, and and it was that zebra crossing already? Or that was like no, no, when no, you were no, no, doing productions?
1: That was when I was 33, so by that time, after I left, I realized that what I really enjoyed was was creating. creating. And so my, my second brother actually runs a creative agency. Yes. Uh, and he's had it for about 25 years yes. uh, and at his peak we had like about 70 staff so I was running about like 70 staff mm-hmm. and we had three offices in, in Singapore and Hong Kong and in Thailand yeah. um, so I was helping him with, with the business as a creative director yeah. I was directing um, like campaigns for like Samsung for Nikon for Adidas but I was also as like you know you, you steal from Peter to pay Paul it's like I was doing all these fancy campaigns that paid me good money and then I would go and run off to do theatre Right, yeah. so the theater, yeah, theater was like my 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 passion, my vice. So I was taking from like my um, below the line marketing, advertising jobs to go yes. finance my theater career. And
0: in itself, I mean, like back then, was still not like independent, like financially independent. Yeah, like. it
1: wasn't. I mean, I could tell you really honestly, the first project that I did as a as a theater actor. Guess how much I got? Three months rehearsal for two week shows. Mm, I don't know, eighty dollars. That... Okay, ah, so I got eighty dollars. Yeah, yeah. So that was. That was just like in 1998, you know. Wow. So that was really like the, the rates we're looking at. And then like maybe you, uh, uh, you know, then maybe you graduate to getting $250 and then $500. Right. Right. And it still really wasn't enough to, to sustain you. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while to get to a point where I got like a, you know, a four-figure paycheck, $1,000. Right. Like, uh, right. So it really took a while, you know, to, to I think where we are today, I think it, it's great that actors now could actually make a living out of acting. Yes. Uh, they still probably have to sideline and, and do other jobs, but back then it was a, definitely a lot tougher.
0: And you went from acting to directing and creating right. your, your own shows, which I, and is great. The reason great. Why I
1: went from acting to directing was a, a very simple fact that I had really bad knees. I tore my knee by the time I was 24. I was diagnosed with osteoarthritis by the time I was 24. Yes. So as a result, I knew that I couldn't rely on my body. Yeah. As an actor, you had to be in full control mm. of your body, and I knew that my knees were deteriorating. Mm. Uh, like now, I've, I've already had seven surgeries to my knees so I knew that I needed to find an alternative and I realized I really enjoyed directing because it was like being a teacher because you mentored all these people all the actors all the designers all the crew they were like all my my, my family I like playing like Mama Hand, you know yeah. um, it allowed me to be creative you, you could create an alternate universe yeah. um, and it was watching like an entire corporate culture being formed overnight because you're the ceo which was the director yes. and then you your different departments you had your costume designers your 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 actors you had your production people your, your sound people um you need to think in this very interdisciplinary way this very macro view of handling yeah. and, and managing different egos and different talents different scripts um, the actors and i really love that challenge i i loved it and i realized that i naturally really enjoy directing
0: Yes, and in fact, you you did some really, really good shows, yeah. and, um, 251, uh, very, very controversial. I'm not sure at the point in time. It was it very controversial, is, right? yeah. I mean, it was and a- you went on a- to even more crazier stuff, Vagina Moloch. Even yeah. I say it, when I say it, I, I feel you controversial. Feel like, yeah, you feel like,
1: you blush. Well, I have a funny story about that. The The, the censors wanted to, to censor my play, and then when they called me, and they said, well, Loretta, we've got a problem with the title of your play. And I said, yeah. why? Is it the word the or mon- monologue? <laughs> and I wanted them to say it. They're like, oh, it's the middle word. I said, oh, what is it? What is it? You know, I was so <laughs> terrible to these, you know people and i was being funny and he said oh can you change the title then i said oh but it's just a body part it could be the ear monologues and the nose monologues right. you know oh that's funny
0: And did, did that like got printed and
1: yes and i have a funny story about the poster so basically <laughs> the the the, the boat of senses I have all due respect to them but they're quite funny people <laughs> you, you okay. need a sense of humor about them so what happened was that i had a poster and um i had my model like, have her leg spread eagle so she had a V, yeah. right? And then she put her legs down so it was an M. Okay. And I got her to wear a thong. A thong. Right? And basically, I got her to put her finger over her thong yes. out of modesty. Yes. Because there's, like, a crew videoing her and taking photos. So out of modesty, I said, put your hand there to cover, yep. you know, your, your vital organs. Yes, yes. But then, like, just to be funny, I thought, I'm just going to send this photo as is without, you know, Any
0: fancy, editing it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I knew they would censor it. But I thought they would censor it because they would think that oh my god, Loretta, it's so in your face, it's vulgar, yeah, yeah. right? I thought that's why they would censor me. Yeah. But basically, when they called me, they said, oh, "Loretta, can you change your poster?" And I said, "Why? I wanted to." I wanted yeah, them they right, they are, like right? sure, uh, so vulgar. But I was, I was, I was already going to be, you know, cheeky, and I was ready to change. Yeah. yeah. And then they said, "Oh, it's because the girl looked as like if she was masturbating." It didn't even cross my mind. Like they were more advanced than me. Like right. wow, like for me it was just modesty land. Like right, putting right. the girl as cover, right? Because right. right. got like photographer there. And <laughs> like they're like, wow. got masturbating all. It's just like it was funny that um that the fact that the vagina was, you know, on display it was okay. But the fact that the woman looked as if she was pleasuring herself,
0: yeah. is not okay. So vagina, the word it's printed and yes, yes. bow and it was
1: like vm and, and it was okay.
0: So what what did what did it, what did it turn into the the the, the poster did, in the I end? I don't
1: know if it's in there but it was V M. But then what I did was I, I put lots of flowers because I wanted it to be like this like lush flowering Garden yes. of Eden. Yeah. So I put lots of flowers and it was really pop and like like it was a beautiful poster.
0: And, and shortly after you started a company, Zebra Crossing, yeah, um, and that turned into the next crisis. Yeah, that
1: was my big 1. financial. Two million. Yeah, that was my big financial meltdown. Basically, I went on a partnership with, with with friends, and this is where also I, I give case studies. You know, as a leadership trainer now, um, it's always very easy to go to partnership with friends, thinking that you want to split everything equal. Mm. Um, but now, in hindsight, again, how people want to run their businesses is really up to them one of the advice that I'll give is to always have a major shareholder even if it's just 1% more mm. because one of the problems we, we ran into was the fact that even though I was a financier, I was financing the company together, my brother is a silent partner, the two of us were financing it
0: yes, monetarily. The rest were
1: not, rest were not financing uh, but they all had equal shares. So I think that made it tough. I, had, I mean, I had one other partner that also put in money right. uh, but the, the bulk was uh, my brother and I and then one other uh, person that nice. put in money and then there was another shareholder but we all split equally. So you can imagine that when we, it came to crunch time, it was tough because the people that were losing money were saying, we need to put a stop to this. Sure. But then people who don't have that pinch would say, no, let's continue. Yeah. But they had Nothing as equal, had Nothing as e- but you see, then I didn't realize, then I wanted to be democratic. I thought it was, yes. uh, it was fair because you're, you're young, right? Yeah. Like it's fair, we have to be very, I mean, I, I still think it's about being fair, but if you put in more money, you should have more shares. I didn't think about so, that. Yeah, sure. I put in more money. That I had equal shares.
0: I think it's just because you're also a very giving person. I was person.
1: very giving, so I put in the most money, but then I had the same shares as everyone. It was like twenty five. It was twenty five a piece, but I put in the most money. Followed by then my brother, and then followed by the other partner, and then there's a person that had that, did, that you know didn't need to pay money. So, like, obviously it, it was. The end.
0: Like what was the ordeal and like what what um, final the final decision was you know you left right
1: yeah I think one of the biggest things was recognizing that because I was the face of the company and people people don't work for 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 companies people work for people. Yeah my staff and my crew and my actors and everybody at work worked because they believed in my vision. Yes. I did not ever touch the money. Mm. Uh, I just gave the money I never signed a check I was not a signatory of my own company. Oh, wow. Um, at all, because I knew I wasn't good with money. I just wanted to be a creator. Um, And I didn't see to the finances at all. Um, There were quite a few shenanigans that were happening with the accounts that went completely unnoticed by me. But the key thing, and like I said, is to take responsibility for the fact that even my ignorance, I'm culpable for my own ignorance. I mean, I can be angry and say, oh my God, somebody cheated my money and cheated me at 1.2 million. In cash, it was probably like, my brother and I was probably over Cash was like over quarter of a million dollars. Yes, for sure, and a lot of other things as well. Yes, a lot of money. Uh, but my point is, I would still be very bitter today if I feel like, oh, I was cheated. You know. Yeah. Yes, there were shenanigans happening. Yeah. But I think we take a step back to say that I also took responsibility for the fact that I didn't want to find out, hey, what's happening, Brian? How much is this? And how come you never show me the receipt? I mean, if I was really as responsible, I fiscally responsible, I should have said, hey, I need to know as well. I didn't. I had full trust. I, I, I just took a complete backseat. So, you know, I, in many ways, once you take responsibility, for, yes, I was super kind. Remember I told you how you could be really kind and you could be yes, abused for it? This situation. is one of those situations I was completely trusting, yes. didn't look at the accounts, didn't sign a check. Yeah. Uh, I was working to pay for my company. Mm. Um, because it was my passion would I change a thing that I did No. because like I said you take responsibility for your actions and and you make you make calculated risks and you take responsibility for every choice you make good or bad because you made a choice Mm -hmm. I chose to do this Mm -hmm. Um, in many ways I gave my partners the ability to walk away with what they have because I didn't keep an eye on it I can choose to see it another way and say oh my god they're horrible those you know beep know, stole my money but I don't live like that um, I don't think it's yeah, to honest, I took responsibility I mean, for it that I was I chose to be ignorant
0: I have I mean I think one of the most one of the successful traits to all successful people is that they always take responsibility, always take responsibility. with their mistakes That's and right. they, they learn from it That's and it's right. n- they never blame others no. right um, and I think yeah. you, you did the same too so let, let us wrap up over here <laughs> and with some quick questions for you yep. so um, advice for your um, let's say 24 year old an advice for 24-year-old. Your 24-year-old self.
1: My 24-year-old yes. self.
0: And your, let's just place another date at maybe 34. So 24 and
1: 34. My 24-year-old self, uh, you are thinner than you think you are. Uh, your life is going to be way better than you think it's going to be. Um, all the magic and love and, and things that you believe in is real. Even when there are times when you don't think it's real, it's real. For my 34-year-old self, um, you're thinner than you think you are. Okay. Because now I'm 40 and I put on 8 kilos, but I'm fine. Um, you are. You may think that you want the whole world to love you, and but you begin to realize that there are other things that are more important, like your family, uh, your health. Uh, and that it's not important to have the world to love you, but it's important for you to love yourself and just always be loving and if, people, and, and if people gravitate towards you, great. Otherwise, you don't have to bend over backwards, however you want to take it, uh, and to make the world love you.
0: Great advice. Uh, habits and routines that you find important?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, every morning, I actually wake up two hours before my first appointment of the day. So let's like, say you're going to meet me at 5 a.m. after yeah. be up at 3 a.m. Okay. If you met me at 3 a.m. after be up at 1 a.m. Because I feel like that, those two hours to myself is me time. Because yeah. the minute I'm out and about in the world, you're giving energy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm responding to you. You ask me a question, I'm responding to you. I'm responding to the crew. I'm responding to people. I'm responding yeah. to stimuli around me. So two hours to myself is is like my meditation time, my me time Um, the first thing I do when I wake up is I read a a, a positive book. I don't want to read like bad news, someone, you know, killing somebody or somebody stealing from somebody. I always read very positive books Mm -hmm. um, because I want to start my day right with positive thoughts. I mean, the day will uh, have bad news already throughout. I don't need to start it with. So I start those two hours with uh, always a positive book that's uplifting. And I, I have my coffee and then I have to go to the bathroom.
0: If you have a bus poster anywhere... Uh, what's it going to say?
1: Uh, uh, if it's a boss poster or MRT poster or whatever, I will say there isn't a way to happiness but happiness is the way. Yeah.
0: There isn't a way to happiness but, but happiness, happiness is, is the, the way. way.
1: Yeah. That's
0: right. It's almost like the journey is, is the, de- is the you journey.
1: Choose. No, you choose to be happy. You don't get too happy. You make a decision to be and you are. Got it. Yeah. Uh, don't think that you'll get there. You, you, you Just be there you are happy
0: when you think of work successful who is the first person that came into mind and
1: i think people who are authentic i think people who define their life in their way and who exactly as they wanted there's there's so much courage that that, that it's needed to be authentic there's so many authentic people that i've met you know and some of them are not known people but they live authentically They, they can live simply but they live authentically like my husband is the most authentic person i know yes you know uh, my parents, my my, my siblings. Uh, I think people who dare to live authentically to
0: themselves, to the
1: themselves, world. because there are people that I know out to the world who are very successful, mm-hmm. but they can't even um, be truthful to themselves. Yeah. So I think I'm successful. I think of being at peace with yourself, and um, because you live with yourself every day, who else are you going to live with every single day of the rest of your life? So you better be
0: successful at living with yourself. Um, what are some of the most common misconception about you or your work.
1: how much time have you got? Top three, top three. That I'm uh, I'm very controversial just for the sake of being controversial. I don't think so. Uh, I think that there's a lot of thought because people forget that anything very dramatic but they they forget that I'm a trained academic which means I'm incredibly logical. But I think the packaging is something that I, you know, I I enjoy being very theatrical and walking in being very theatrical but I'm at heart very, I can live in the Himalayas on my own. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I, I can be incredibly quiet, I can go for days and days without talking to people. Um, but when I choose to be controversial, it's not for the sake of being controversial, it's because you want to engage people people to provoke thought. Because I always think that in order to get people to think, you need to provoke them to think. You can tell them what to think, I want you to think this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always create plays and productions and campaigns that force you to think why am I segregating homosexuals? Why am I segregating Muslims? Why am I segregating um, uh, uh, old people? Yeah. You know, I, I try to always encourage diversity, embrace all differences and respect all differences. Again, it goes back to how I was raised by my dad. Yeah. That in all my, it's not about telling you don't do this and don't do that. Yeah. Because it's like, don't think of a pink elephant. You are going to do it.
0: Yeah.
1: But to make people think. And reach your own conclusions at your own time. Mm. And I think that's how my artists, I think it's all my productions, all my philosophy, even how I teach in class. It's to provoke people to think. And, and things like that, you okay. know?
0: Okay, so the last question would be books you recommend? And documentary? There's so, there's
1: so many books that I would recommend. Uh, like personally, top three. Uh, top three. Okay, yes. I, I really like this book called um, The Female Brain and, and The Male Brain. It's written by the same writer. Yeah. Um, basically because it gives you a... Very logical biological view of why you are the way you are. Uh, for more like philosophical books, I like or, or you know spiritual books. I like to read like Osho. I like to read um, like The Diamond Cutter. I like to read What Makes You Not a Buddhist. Um, I like to read philosophy like Bart or Foucault. Mm. Um, it's hard for me to name top three, but one of the books that I will say, if you ever are feeling down and you know um, you got to read Night Falls First, but of course you have to read Woman on Top. Yes. And you can read my next book coming up, which is called Driven by Purpose.
0: Driven by Purpose. And tell, tell us about the next book.
1: So next book, Driven by Purpose, is a book that I chose to write on my friend Elam Chu, who is an entrepreneur. Oh, and Street. she is, yeah, and she's actually going through her own reincarnation because oh, wow. all of 77th Street is closing. And she's now moving to a new phase of her life where it's her, her own... EC50 project. She turns 50 this year. So she's going through a whole new milestone. And I chose to write about her because I feel that she's iconic of those 50 years as well, like her career. You know, she started yes. 77th Street and now it's it's come to a complete end. Yeah. She's reinventing herself now to go into logistics um, like and also social media. She wants to start an ECTV channel, Elim2 channel. Yes. So basically, it's about reinventing as well. So I chose to write out her because I wanted to tease out all these stories which to, to make it again relevant to my readers mm. that life begins at 50. Uh, you can reinvent yourself. Mm. But the other thing that I'm also working on is um, Secrets to Happiness, which is a travel documentary that is going to be aired on an international travel channel. Yes. Uh, so that really sees me going to different countries. But the first pilot series would be in Bhutan, where I try to find out the, the secrets to happiness.
0: So basically, Secrets to Happiness in Questioning that in different countries.
1: That's right. Yeah, but the wow. pilot pilot would be in Bhutan. Bhutan.
0: A great place to start. Yeah. Um, yeah, so tell us where can people find you and follow your work, follow you. Uh. Uh, you can
1: follow me on, well, I, yeah, I have an Instagram account. I think oh, it's just Dr. Okay. Loretta Chan. Okay. I have a Facebook, which is Loretta Chan. Okay. I have a <laughs> website, which is Dr. Loretta Chan. So I think it's we quite easy. But care. then I am not a big social you will manipulator be. the you way you be. are. You so be. so you're gonna make me an internet star yes, with this will, uh, will, will, will,
0: will. program. All right, so let's wrap it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, much. Thank thank you so you. much for thank you for being here. My pleasure. Hey guys, you're still here. Thank you so much for staying throughout the first episode. All show notes and links to the books and shows can be found on the website Brian Victor. So this is a personal project that I'm experimenting. I will be making about 10 episodes or so. So if you like it, I have a favor to ask. I made a bet to hit 1,000 email subscribers by the end of the year. So please share it on social media to your friend who might benefit from it. Thank you and I will see you soon.